Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker Pastor Jay Fireball delivers the fifth message from the series, Portraits, Jesus, Who Are You? You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Gehenna mobile app. Hey, uh, a little boy was uh, sent to bed by his father, and five minutes later, he said, Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a drink of water? No, you had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'm going to come up there and spank you. Five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come up here to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? (laughs) Well, in the story that we're going to look at today, Jesus was thirsty. And that thirst leads to a conversation and a conversion of a woman beside a well. And so let me invite you, if you have a Bible or a device or whatever you're going to use to follow along, to open it up with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, I'd encourage you to take out your message notes as well from your worship folder. You'll be able to use those and write in some blanks and fill in some space, things in the white space if you care to do so. We're in a series on the Gospel of John and we've seen that the purpose of John is to reveal Jesus as God in a human body. John starts his gospel off, John chapter one, verse one, and he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This thing, the word, whatever he's talking about, has been there since the beginning, was with God, and in fact was God. And then he goes on a little further in verse 14 when he says that this word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the point here in chapter 4 is not simply a story about a Samaritan woman outside the village of Sychar. The real point of this story is to get us to verse 26 where Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Where in this conversation that Jesus has, he declares himself to be the long-promised Messiah. That he is God incarnate, not merely a man, but God himself in human flesh. Well, let's kind of walk through this story together. You can follow along. I'll make comments as we go. But John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. The crowds were moving from John the Baptist to Jesus. John had said that that would happen. He had just said in the previous chapter that he must increase and I must decrease, and it was happening. And the religious leaders had noticed this transition, and it didn't please them. 
they really weren't that fond of John and they especially didn't like Jesus. And so Jesus sensed this um, confrontation between him and these religious leaders coming on and he knew it wasn't the right time for that yet so he left Judea in the south to go back to Galilee in the north. Um, It would be kind of like being in Kentucky and uh, planning to go to Michigan. So you're gonna go from the south to the north. And so it says, verse four, now uh, he had to go through Samaria. And that was geographically true to get from Judea in the south to get to Galilee in the north. Samaria is there in the middle. So that was geographically true. But the practice of the day for Jews was to avoid Samaria because they had such a great hatred for the Samaritans. And so what they would commonly do, the practice of the day, is they would walk way to the east, they would walk then along the Jordan River till they got north of Samaria, Samaria, and then go back west to uh, get to where they were going, wherever in Galilee. It would be like, again, to use our uh, American illustration, if you're in Lexington, Kentucky, and you're gonna go to Detroit, and want to avoid Ohio, you'd go way out of your way. You'd go clear over to Indiana, and then you'd go up along the Indiana border, and then you'd cut back over once you reached Michigan to get to Detroit. It, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and remember, they were walking. So this wasn't a matter of just driving a couple hours out of your way. This hatred really went a long way, went deep, didn't it? See, they would go to such an extent not to even step foot into Samaria. And uh, you know, this hatred, just so you kind of understand the historical context, it it, it went back to, if you know your Old Testament history, or even if you don't, I'm gonna tell you right here. But uh, in 720 BC, that's when the the, uh, nation of Israel, the the 10 northern tribes were overtaken by the Assyrians. And when they did that, the Assyrians, their practice was they would uh, disperse the people, they would scatter the people, they tried to wipe them out nationally. Uh, what they would do is they would uh, carry off, especially the men, they would carry off their people and take them to other lands and then they would bring in men from other lands that they had captured over to there to try to just, again, wipe them out nationally. And so what happened over time is that these Jewish women that were left behind in that area, they eventually married the only men that were around, non-Jews. And uh, so they came to be seen here hundreds of years later as more or less half-breeds. Now, part of this you have to understand is there really was a, 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 an understanding that as the Jewish race, God's chosen people, there was this sense of not intermarrying because uh, they were to bring the line of, of Abraham to, to bring that line into uh, the Messiah coming. So there was a sense of legitimacy to that. But this hatred, this this animosity, this thing that existed and came about, that's where it really got off base. But anyway, here's Jesus, and Jesus wasn't playing that game. Jesus went through Samaria, and in fact, you get the sense that Jesus had this divine appointment with this woman at a well in Samaria. And so he, off they go, right through Samaria. Somehow the Holy Spirit had communicated this to him, so off they go. Verse five, it says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. 
And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus was tired. You know, much of the controversy of the New Testament church really was surrounded the heresies that, uh, that, flow, that flowed out of this false teaching that Jesus wasn't really human. That somehow, you know, he was just sort of play acting to be human. But when you read here and you read the rest of the New Testament, you don't get any of that. Jesus truly was human. 100% God, that, that didn't change, but he was also 100% man. Human, and so being a human, he was thirsty, he was tired, it was high noon, and so he sat down by a well. Verse seven, then a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. They're half a mile from the village of Sychar, it's the hottest part of the day, and along comes this woman. Now, there's some inferences that you can kind of draw out of this, and we'll learn why as you get a little more into the story, but here's a woman coming at a time that none of the other women were coming, which probably indicated some things about her, that she was an outcast, that she was ostracized from society, that the other women didn't want to be around her, and quite frankly, she probably didn't want to be around the other woman. So she comes along at this hottest time of the day. And Jesus was there, and he was thirsty, but he lacked a bucket. And so he breaks all the social norms of his day, and he asks for assistance from a woman. Now again, in that culture, men did not talk to women in public. In fact, husbands would not even talk to their wives in public unless it was absolutely necessary. So there's, there's, there's a social norm going on here. In fact, even you know, many of the Pharisees, you know, the kind of the hypocritical religious, many of them hypocritical religious leaders of the day, uh, there was a band of them who said you shouldn't even look at a woman. And so there was a group of them that when they would see, a, they, they came to be known as the bruised and bloody Pharisees because they would see a woman, they had closed their eyes and they were always walking into things. See? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so, so again, cultural norm, men don't talk to women. Not only that, but Jesus was a rabbi, remember? And rabbis especially did not converse with people of poor moral standing, which we'll learn that in just a minute about this woman. And then on top of that, there's this racial barrier going on. Because again, Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. There was that thing going on. I, I, again, we, we can read the scriptures with these 21st century eyes and we miss this, this, this tenseness that's in this scenario that's happening here. So Jesus asked for a drink and, and asked for the woman for assistance. And so verse nine, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You see, after this, this, um, this intermarrying that went on, again, hundreds of years before, this, this, um, this bridge, this gap between Jews and Samaritans really just even increased. Um, even even when, when the Jews came back to reestablish the land. Um, 
Uh, when you read Ezra, when you read Nehemiah, Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the temple and re- rebuilding the walls uh, around uh, Jerusalem, Nehemiah would not allow Samaritans to, to uh, be part of that, to enter into the city. And again, part of that was over the whole intermarrying thing, wanting to preserve the line for the Messiah to come. But, but, but you see how this just led to this increasing animosity that was there between Jews and Samaritans. And things really came to a head when a renegade Jew named Manasseh married a daughter of Sanballat, who was a, Samar- who was a Samaritan. And what he did is he rejected the temple that was in Jerusalem and he built a new place for worship on Mount Garrison in Samaria. Now, that'll come into play here in a little bit. But again, this, this, this intensity that was there. And in fact, even that phrase there at the end of verse nine where it says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, it it carries this connotation of do not use the same utensils. And so here's Jesus saying, hey, can I drink out of your bucket? Do you see what's going on? And so uh, again, Jesus is this barrier breaker. Don't miss that. That's at the heart of really understanding this whole deal here. Well, then what Jesus does as the conversation goes on in verse 10 is he turns the conversation. He basically moves it from he's thirsty and she has the source to the reality that she's thirsty and he has the source. Look at what he says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, here's this key, I think, to sharing our faith. It's moving the conversation from, you know, what's going on in our heads to what's going on in our hearts. It's taking the conversation from these peripheral kinds of things to, you know, what's really going on in our hearts that what Jesus does here is he says, hey, it's not really so much about the thirst in your throat as much as it is about the thirst that's going on in your soul. And he says it's about living water. And so verse 11, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, what? H2O will do for your dry mouth. My water will do for your thirsty soul. See, Jesus is is making an analogy here. And if you read the Gospel of John, we'll see this as we go further on. Uh, John really emphasizes this aspect of Jesus making analogies. Notice as we go through John, all of the I am statements. Jesus continually saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the sheepfold. Those are all analogies that Jesus makes. And Jesus is making an analogy here between not physical water, but the thirst that you have physically really relating and uh, making an analogy to the thirst inside of you. 
Well, the woman isn't fully on board with the whole analogy thing yet. And so she says, verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's attempting to get her to this place of of inner realization. Because you see, before a person can be saved, they need to recognize two things. First, you have to recognize, you have to have an awareness of there's a problem with me. That, that my shortcoming, there's a shortcoming between me and a holy God. That everything's not just all right with God and me. There's a problem, and that problem is my sin. God is holy, I am not, and that, that, there's a problem that's there with me. And then secondly, you have to recognize who Jesus is. That he is the solution to that problem, see? I have a problem and Jesus is that solution and Jesus is trying to get her to this place of inner realization and so he takes her to really the heart of this inner longing and how she has been attempting to fill it. In the next verse he says, he told her then, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What Jesus does is he calls her out at the place of her sin. You see, sin is those things that we turn to other than God to try to satisfy the longing in our soul. See, we, we, tend to, we tend to think of sin in terms of these concrete actions, but it's those things that we turn to other than God to try to satisfy those longings, the longings that only God can meet, the thirst that only God can quench. That's why we talk about idols so much around here. When, when we talk about idols, we don't mean little tiny statues that we set up on the mantle to worship. For us, idols are those things that we try to use in the place that only God should have in our lives. And so this woman, she had been turning to idols. She had been looking for love in all the wrong places, right? She had been trying to satisfy, to quench that thirst through relationships with men. And Jesus calls her out on it. And I think her response to that is just priceless, isn't it? Verse 19, she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, right? Meets Jesus, they've never seen each other, they don't know each other, and he knows this about her, right? Sir, I can see you're a prophet. But I I, I think in that there's an admission, isn't there? Here's what she's saying, you're right about me. And it opens this spiritual moment inside of her. And so what she does is she brings up the only thing she really knows about spirituality. She says, verse 20, well, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, you know, Mount Garrison, remember back to the whole Manasseh thing? Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, 
a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. By the way, we're in that time now. In fact, we've been in that time since 70 AD when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So he says the time's coming where you're not gonna worship God in either of those places. You Samaritans worship what you do know, do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are not the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. See, she recognizes her spiritual need. Jesus has touched some spiritual nerve inside of her. And so her solution, she assumes, just like many of us assumed, is this, well, I, I need to get religious. <laughs> you know, I need to go to church. I, I need to find some place to go to deal with this sin problem that I obviously have. And I think Jesus' answer to her is really just this. It's not religion, it's me. See, it's not going and doing somewhere, it's turning to me, Jesus says. And so listen to me, friend, if God is at work in you, if God's been stirring something up in you, if something's going on inside of you, the solution is not to get religious, it's to turn to Jesus. He's the answer, he's the solution, he is what you're looking for to quench that thirst that's going on inside of you. It's not religion, it's Jesus. And so the woman said, verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then verse 26, here's the key verse. And then Jesus declared, I, the one that's speaking to you, I am he. I am that Messiah. I am God incarnate, the long-promised one who will be the full and final payment for your sin. You see, the solution isn't for you to get religious. The solution is for you to come to Jesus. And I think that's what the woman does. It doesn't tell us in the story that she bowed her head right then and prayed a prayer or she got on her knees or any of those things that sometimes we think is the conventional ways, but I think what you do see is the evidence of her true salvation in the verses that follow. It says, verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the whole reason why she came, she just left her water jar, and the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town, and they made their way toward him. Drop down to verse 39. And it says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers of Jesus. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Many of them, many of those Samaritans came to Jesus right there that day because of this event. Because he was and is God incarnate the long-promised Messiah who would be the sin solution for all of this gap that stands between us and a holy God. 
Well, let me, let me just make three brief applications from this story. You could make others, but let me just give you three. Here's the first one. You can fill in the blanks if you care to do so. The first one is just this, that there is no room for prejudice in the life of a Christian. You see, friends, we all stand equally needy at the foot of the cross. In fact, before God, there really are only two types of people. One are those who've been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus, and two are those who, are, who have not yet turned to Jesus and thus still remain guilty before a holy God. Only two types. And we sang in Sunday school, right? Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in his sight. In fact, Revelation chapter five, this picture of heaven, Jared shared it with us a little earlier, in verse nine it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, talking about Jesus, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. There's no, heaven will be made up of people from everywhere. There's no room for prejudice in the life of Christians, and yet I am amazed at Christians that I meet who are unashamedly prejudiced. And I just wanna remind us that Jesus loves all people, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, race, gender, background, you name it, we are all precious in his sight. And Jesus broke through the barriers of prejudice of his day. And you know what, I think it's high time, especially at this time in our country, that Christians be the ones who follow the example of Jesus and break through the barriers of prejudice in our day. We ought to do that. You know, the word Christians just mean little Christs. Why don't we be barrier breakers like Jesus was? And you know, this isn't just a black and white thing either. It's high time that we follow the example of Jesus and break through the barriers because there's no room for prejudice in the life of a Christian. Here's a second application. I think we have a responsibility to attempt to share Jesus with those around us. That's all of our responsibilities. And you know, maybe it doesn't even start with the sharing part. Maybe it just starts with the caring part. You know, if, you think, if maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't really do much of that. I, I don't really do a good job with that. Here's where it starts. It starts first by caring. By caring about the reality that people that you live next to and people that you work next to and family members and friends, people that you know, Many of them are still lost in their sin. And ask God to just start causing you to care more deeply about that. And then as, you, as, that, as that conviction wells up in you more and more, then you do this, you, you, you just start purposeful conversations. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Isn't that what he does right here? And, and I think Jesus' pattern here is worth noting. It's, it's one worth following 
Because I just want you to see what Jesus did. Here's his pattern. I, I think just kind of breaking it down simply. The first thing Jesus did is, is he just starts talking to someone. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking this week, you know, if Jesus had had a cell phone, I guess this wouldn't have happened. None of these people would have gotten saved, right? That happens to me all the time. I'm in the store. The guy next to me says something. I turn around. He's not even talking to me. He's talking to some, you know, somebody somewhere else. Nothing wrong with that. But I, but I do think there's value in just, just start. Just start a conversation. Just start talking. Whether it's someone you know or someone you don't. And then here's the second thing. Just listen for a point of connection between you and them. I mean, that's what Jesus did. What was the connection that Jesus used? Water, right? You know, water, you like it, I like it, I get thirsty, you get thirsty. I mean, he just found a point of connection there, right? To just keep the conversation going. But then, here's the third thing he did, is he, is, he, is he found a way to turn that conversation. See, to move it from up here to down here, to move it from peripheral things to internal things, see, to just draw out a, a deeper need that's going on. He does that, he moves it from thirst to inner thirst so that number four, you can just bring Jesus and who he is into the conversation. Jesus moves from this aspect of inner thirst to the fact that he is the solution to that inner thirst. And it doesn't always happen like this, it doesn't happen in this nice neat package, and if it's people we know, it's usually probably not one conversation, it's multiple conversations. But we would do well for just to look to, to practice Jesus' pattern because it is all of our responsibilities to share Jesus with those, those around us. Here's a third application, and I think this is the most personal one. It's this, have you, have you put your full trust in Jesus alone as the, as the solution for your sin? You see, because God is holy and we are not, we have to recognize that my sinfulness is a problem that stands between me and God. It's not just okay. It's not just simply that God loves me. There is a problem there because God is holy and I am sinful. My sin stands between me and a holy God. Not only that, my sin is, is my vain attempt to try to satisfy those things in me that only God can satisfy. And I have to recognize this problem exists and then secondly, I have to see that Jesus is the one who is the solution to that problem. That he is God incarnate that he is the long-promised Messiah who would die on a cross so that his shed blood could be the solution for the problem that exists between me and a holy God. But it's not even just enough to know that. You have to receive that. You know, let, let's, say, um, let's say I took a $20 bill out. I'm not, but let's say I took it out and I went down here to Eric and I said, yeah, Miriam's got her hand out there. You got it. I took out this $20 bill and I said, uh, hey, I want you to have this. And Eric said, uh, no, no, we're good. I don't need that. I got plenty of money. No, no, I really want you to have this. And there's a point at which for this to become Eric's, he has to receive that. If he doesn't take it, it still goes back. It's my $20 bill, not his. You have to receive that. See, you have to know. You have to know there's a problem between you and God, your sin. 
You have to recognize that Jesus is the solution to that problem. He died on the cross and shed his blood. We sang about it multiple times today. He shed his blood to be the solution to that problem, but you have to receive that. Here's the question, have you done that? Have you received Jesus and his death on the cross as the solution to the sin problem that stands between you and a holy God? If you haven't, are you willing? Listen to me, friends. If you are not crystal clear on that, that you have done that, that you've received Jesus' death to be the payment for your sins, that he is your savior, then don't leave here without being clear. That you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that that's true. Talk to someone that you came with. Talk to someone from your small group that you think that you feel pretty sure are, is clear on that. Talk to one of our prayer partners up here in a minute when, when we're worshiping who would love to make sure that you can leave here knowing that you know, that you know, that you know that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus is your savior. Don't leave here without that. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. And I wanna pray for the person that's here that maybe isn't crystal clear on that. Maybe they just like this Samaritan woman, they thought, well, I, I got this stuff going on, I'm recognizing this, I need to go to church, or I need to get religious, or I need to do this, or I need to do that, and Lord, they, they've been trying to do, they, they've been looking for you in these places, but they haven't turned to you as the solution to their sin. God, I pray that you will give them the courage to take the step to talk to someone so that they can leave here knowing for sure that they know that you are their savior. And Lord, I wanna pray too for those of us who that is clear for us, that we do know that you're our savior, that we have received that. Lord, help us have the courage to speak up, to look for opportunities, to just care more about people around us who don't have a saving relationship to you, to start conversations, to, to look for opportunities to just bring you into that conversation, Lord. Give us courage to do that. And then Jesus, I pray for all of us who are Christians, here, around the globe, Lord, give us the, the courage to stand up and say prejudice has no place among God's people. Help us to stand boldly and say, I don't care what anybody else is saying, I'm gonna follow the example of Jesus. I'm gonna break the barriers of my name. Give us all the courage to be those kinds of people to make an impact on our sake and to bring you glory. I pray it in your name. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.